Hey, if you're excited about what God is doing in your life, man, get up on your feet and stand up. If I can't be honest with family, who can I be honest with? I'm not excited. I'm not. Y'all can have a seat. I'm not excited. Let me tell you why. You know, it's, it's always those things and where you, you have a frame of mind for like two months. Like the next time, man, I teach and preach, man, I got it. Then at 518 this morning, something else came. I'm not excited about that. Because now I got, I got to get up and I, I, and first off, I got to get through my own feelings of emotions. Like, man, why would you do this? Like, come on, ain't we all right? Ain't we good? Haven't I done good stuff? Amen. Well, he did wake me up, and some of this falls in line with what I want to, what I've been really, I think God's been taking me through, and so I just kind of want to share, so I'm going to make a lot of I statements, but I can include you and say we and us, if that's all right with you. But y'all know how I do. I'm going to talk from kind of what I, <laughs> what I've had to grow through and deal with a little bit, okay? But before I get into that, let me, let me give you some good news. So about two weeks ago, we go on a family vacation. Haven't been on a family vacation in six years. Now, when I say that, don't look at me and be like, man, that is so wrong. I'll tell you offline why it's been six years, okay? But six years, man, had a great opportunity to go down to Hilton Head, man. Just, it's a whole nother world. And what I realize is, is that whenever you travel, like there's multiple different pathways or passages when you travel. And that's what we're going to be talking about this Sunday and next Sunday is just pathways. Pathways. And so I know when we travel down to Hilton Head or if I go down to see my sister-in-law and my niece and my brother-in-law, we're going to take 77. Right? We're taking Interstate 77. And I know when I go see my family, my mom, my dad, um, if I go visit where I was born and raised, I'm taking 71 to 65. That's my pathway. And along those pathways that you go down into, I've grown to understand there's things that I like and I don't like when I travel. So I'm going to tell you right now, when I say this, I don't want to offend anybody because I just learned that somebody has property in this place, but I can't stand traveling through West Virginia. <laughs> like, I just, I don't like it. It's, it's too many hills and sharp turns, and it's just bananas. Then you got these two tunnels, and it's, it reminds me of Mission Impossible. What if we get stuck? What's going to happen? Right? But then there's things that I like going that direction. Because, see, when you're going on these pathways, um, you always see different exits and exit signs. And those signs tell you, hey, if you get off on this exit, this is what you're going to get. It's going to kind of tell you, man, hey, you can get these gas options, these food options, and all these other things. But then you have space that it says, hey, the rest stop. And when you're traveling with six kids, the rest stop becomes more important than where you stop and get gas. 
but it'll tell you the rest stop is like, oh, man, 10 miles down the way. Some of the things I like is that, man, it's the restaurants that I like seem like going the way of 70, 77. What I like going 71 coming back is the little stretch of highway between Cincinnati and Columbus, and it's just flat. And I go as fast as I want. There's nothing telling me, oh, man, there's a, there's a steep curve here, and go 35. Nothing's telling me that. And so as, you, as I thought about these pathways, I thought about, well, man, the Bible, the Word of God, or Route 66, is filled with a lot of pathways that lead me to certain destinations. Right? And just like the physical pathways that we see as we travel on, on the interstate and different routes, Matthew 7, 13, and 14 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate that is wide and the way that is easy leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This is a pathway or multiple pathways. The narrow gate to me, I'm just going to say that's West Virginia, right? <laughs> no, I take that back because it ain't easy. But that pathway, that stretch between Cincinnati and Columbus, man, that's easy. It's easy driving, it's nothing but land, and it's flat and it's straight. But also in the Bible, it gives us the location of the nearest rest, rest stop. We see that in Matthew 11 and 28. Come to me, Jesus says, all those who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's like an exit. Matthew 11:28 is our exit to get off and to get rest during the time of our journey down the pathway. As I travel through these pathways, the question that we or I may ask myself is, man, am I going the right way or the wrong way? Because according to Google, or for us, the Holy Spirit, I believe I'm going the right way. I think this path is right to me. It feels right. All my human instincts tell me it's right. The things that are happening and going on tell me that, hey, my human strategy and the way that I'm thinking about this is oh so right. But why would I even have to ask myself that question? I have a map. I have Google, right? I have Scout. I have all these apps now that I can get to places, or as a believer or a follower of Jesus, I have the Holy Spirit, which is my spiritual map. So why do I even have to ask myself if I'm going the right or the wrong way or direction? Why do we have to ask ourselves that question? Proverbs 14 and 12 says this. There is a way that seems right to a person. But its end is the way of death. Wait a minute. I really believe I'm going in the right direction. I really believe that I'm ministering in my home in the right way. I really believe that the way that I'm handling my money is the right way. I really believe the way I'm coaching is the right way because 
it's simply about winning. And man, I want to win. And so I'm going to do everything possible that galvanizes the winning. And why is that? Well, before I get to that answer, I'm going to give you a little bit of background into my traveling experiences growing up. My father, man, love him. Awesome. But my father was the traveler that said, hey, I want to be very efficient and effective in my travel. Translation, we ain't stopping. I want to get there as fast as humanly possible. And so my brother and I would often sit in the back seat where he would ask, not really wanting to, hey, are y'all good? Y'all want to stop? No, daddy. No, we're okay. While we're back there just, because if we stop, this is going to mess up his time. And so for most of us, when we think about the wrong way, a lot of times the way that we think, we think from a from our human perspective, our human strategy, our human philosophies, our human way of doing things. And that's who my father was. And so because that was my experience, guess what I wanted to do? Stacy, let's see how fast we can get there. Let's just go, 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 go. And that's how I traveled. Because I, I had to be efficient and effective. And see, when we talk about if we're going the wrong way or the right way, first of all, we have to say, well, whose pathway am I on? For most of my life, when I traveled, I was on my father, not my spiritual father, but my earthly father's pathway. Because that was the example that he gave me, so that's what I did. And so I followed that path. There were other pathways that I learned from my father that I took on. Man, I I felt like the way that I treated women was really, really good because that's what I saw my father do. And then that's also what he told me. He said, son, you're going to college. This is going to be the best time of your life. Not because I was going to be on the dean's list. But he's like, man, you're going to go to so many parties. You're going to have a great time. And listen, man, just that, that was my father's exit speech to me when he dropped me off at Bolger Hall at the University of Akron. So I'm like, oh, okay. I got my pathway. I understand the destination. I'm just going to move into that. Then when I got into coaching, man, and you're coaching some high-level places, everything becomes about winning. And it's a win-at-all-cost mentality. I was watching the news, Sports Center, because that's my news. I don't watch necessarily CNN. Sports Center gives me everything I need. I know what's going on politically. I know what's going on in sports, right? There's even some faith components there. So I know everything that's going on. But there was a legendary coach who now can't get in the Hall of Fame because you got to have 60% of wins in order to be eligible for the Hall of Fame in college football. But he had games taken away because he had a win-at-all-cost mentality, and he got found out. Now, he might not have done it himself, but see, when you're the head coach, not only do you get all the praise for the victories, but anything something doesn't go right, you get all the blame as well. He may not even known what was going on or what was happening within his program, and if he didn't, shame on him. 
But what I've learned in the course of my life, in the course of my leadership journey, whether it's through Love Akron, whether it's through coaching, whether it's through pastoring a church, or leading the most important ministry that I have is my family, is that God didn't call me to be effective. He simply called me to be faithful. I'm going to say that again because I know right now in our American churches, we really get caught up in effectiveness. How many people you got coming? How many services you got? Hey, how many people you got? Hey, well, we got 10 services, but no other than that, how many campuses do you have? Oh, I know that ain't none of us. I know that's not none of us. But see, this is where have we done the very thing that Paul tells us not to do when we read Romans, when it says, don't be conformed to this world. But be ye transformed by the what? Renewing of our minds. Because I don't know about you, man, but I was really caught up in being really effective. I mean, let me let you in on something. The only reason I really wanted to preach growing up is because, man, I felt like I was an effective speaker. I was real effective. And that's what people tell you. Man, you're so effective. You're so inspiring. You're so motivated. Oh, my gosh. It's a... And so we get this burden to want to be effective in everything. Hey, you know where else I want to be effective at? I want to be effective in the bedroom. Oh, my goodness, I do. And ask Stacy if I am, because I don't know, but I believe I am. I got six kids. Oh, I'm talking a little bit too rough this morning, so I apologize. But I'm thinking I'm sitting in here with adults. So I'm going to give you a little bit of my journey and wanting to be effective. Because, see, what we get taught as males is that, man, you have to be effective in the bedroom. Your wallet better be effective. And when you're on the ball field, you better be super effective. Because that's how the world is going to equate you and give you that stature. But see, that's the pathway of the world. And when we think about, well, whose path am I on? That sounds like me. Because I love me some me. I don't know about you, but I love me some Kemp. So my wanting to be effective is is all about doing what? Um, Propping me up. I'm sorry. It's all about propping me up. Because why? I want to be effective. Because that's how I'm getting equated. That's how I'm getting judged, right? As a nonprofit leader is how effective is your program? How effective is your organization? Because if it's super effective, then we'll give you all the money you want. But you have to tell us how you are making impact right now in this city. And when you hear that enough, what do we start to do, people? Brian, what do we start to do? Brian's like, I wasn't expecting that. One more time, brother. And put it out there. Because, see, the effectiveness becomes less and less about him and more and more about me. And this is why I'm going to say us. Come on in. 
come on to this place, right? Effectiveness. Well, God showed me a while ago, he's like, son, I'm not calling you to that. But here's what I'll tell you. Mm. As he calls us to faithfulness, that's what's going to make us effective for him. It will make us effective for him because, see, I, but I got to be honest with myself. Hey, I don't know if anybody ever seen the movie of Plane, Trains, and Automobiles. Any? Everybody remember the part where it says, hey, you're going the wrong way. And I can remember there were people in my life, God-fearing people, people I loved, who were saying, you're going the wrong way. But I said, no, I'm doing this the right way. Because this is what I've seen growing up. This is what I've, what, what I've experienced happen in my life. So I know I'm doing right. Somebody asked me about my testimony. And I was like, yeah, man, I was probably going to get married to two other women before I met Stacy. You know why? Because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. And then Stacy looks at me with the side eye. But see, when you're caught up in being effective, that's how you know you're going the wrong way because your effectiveness is more about you and less and less and less about God. Which leads us down, there is a way that seems right to us, but the end of it leads to death, our spiritual death, our emotional death, our mental death, and maybe even just our physical death. We will more often than not lead ourselves down the wrong pathway, relying on worldly wisdom and strategies and seeking how to be more effective. By doing this thing, the Bible urges us not to in Proverbs 3 and 5 where he says, in all your ways acknowledge me and I will direct your path. In all your ways, not just, not just in the ones that made me comfortable, but in all of my ways, financially, my self-esteem, my, my validation or the lack thereof. See, see, when you're dealing with the want and the desire to be effective, you throw that off on other people and you get mad at people because they don't validate you. You get upset with them. Let me tell you something. I was upset for Brian for about two years. Can I be real with y'all today? Is that all right? I know, man, like we're pastors and we're just supposed to be like, oh, man. But see, this is going to really make you feel good. See, I was upset with Brian for about two years. Because if you haven't noticed, me and Brian are two different people. One looks really, really great and the other one looks all right. Amen? Come on now. Now you decide who that person is. But I was upset with Brian for like two years. Anybody want to say, well, why, Pastor Coach? Well, when your love languages are touch and word of affirmation, now I don't need Brian to touch me. Amen? (laughs) But see, I needed Brian to validate me. 
I needed him to validate me as his brother. I needed him to validate me as a co-pastor of this church. Because I put my effectiveness in what he thought about me. Come on now. Come on now. And I was upset with Brian, and Brian's like, what's wrong? You know, Brian's kind of got that, like, that whole little thing about, I'm like, hey, I, what do you mean? And which makes you even matter, <laughs> right? Because now it's like, well, man, you just dis- dismissed me. You're being dismissive of me. But see, even in that, God showed me more about me. He unpacked more of my stuff out. Because, see, I struggled for years with being validated. I struggled with years of walking in spaces, being really, really good about who I was. And I had a good brother, man, who really, really loves me. And this isn't Brian. This is another brother. He sent me an email, and it's called MVP. And, like, anytime you're going to make a, a discussion or you present something, the last thing is where I was, and it's paradigm. And so depending on the group I was with, if I felt a certain paradigm by myself, it came off in the presentation and in the discussion. So if I felt less than because I was in a room full of white folks, white folks, I would automatically be like, man, these white folks, man, I'll tell you what, they're going to already prejudge me. They're going to have. And so I'm giving off what I don't want. And really what I'm doing is because, see, man, man, we're speaking spirit. So I'm speaking into existence the paradigm that I'm feeling in that moment, which is going to have me. We go back into what I grew up in, in that sense of not being validated because I didn't have a father who validated me. Even though I didn't want for nothing growing up, materialistically. But the one thing that I needed from him, he didn't know how to give me. But in my study, what I realized is nobody gave that to him. And so when you're not getting it, then you want to go find and go down the pathway of effectiveness. And how can I be effective? And then you put that on other people. Amen? So what we're going to talk about is what's the pathway of faithfulness look like? What does it look like? What do we pick up along this pathway? What do we encounter? What do we grow into? What do we have? And what does God burst out in us and form within us? Because, see, what can happen when you never stop and you take a rest or you take a beat? What begins to happen is we miss the exits because we're rushing to get where we go when there's some really great things. This time we went on vacation, man. We were very intentional about taking our time, and we stopped in Charlotte, North Carolina, and we stayed overnight. And we walked downtown. It was a comic book convention, which I can't believe grown people act that way. <laughs> what are we doing? Amen? No, I'm just joking. Desiring efficiency and effectiveness in our marriages and our ministries and our makeup or our identity. However, what I've learned is God doesn't call us, as I said, to effectiveness. He calls us to faithfulness. We find this in John 15, verses 4 through 6, where he says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch 
cannot bear fruit by itself in its own effectiveness or efficiencies unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, Kemp, unless you abide in me. For Jesus is telling me constantly, I am the vine and you are the branches. And then he goes out and he welcomes all of us, whoever abides in me and I am him, he or she or they, it is that will bear much fruit. And he goes on to say, apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, they are thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and are burned. After a while, you will become fatigued with trying to be so effective because you can't do it. But see, our faithfulness in abiding, and when we abide, we're, we're stationed there. We're hunkered down. We're nailed in there. We're not moving. The scripture says we are unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And I'm abiding in this place, in him, in the true line. Because why? At the end of the day, our desire is, because it's his desire, is that we want to bear fruit. And that fruit will remain in all that we do in our life, in our families, in our vocations, in our relationships, in our ministries. We want to be fruit bearers. Because only in that will they know that we are his. They don't know that any other way. They don't know if we ain't bearing any fruit. They don't know because you just you. But when they see the fruits of the Spirit bearing fruit in our lives, man, of love, of joy, of peace, of kindness, of gentleness, which where there is no law, then that's what's going to draw people to him. I truly believe there's, there's many great case studies in the Bible that we see this live out. As I studied Peter, man, Peter, man, Peter is my man. Because I really believe in, well, you can read scriptures, you can break it down. I really believe Peter's sense of wanting a validation started at a very young age. I've read that in Jewish culture way back when and when young people, um, Jewish young boys and young girls, when they, they went to school in synagogues. And so they, they had to read the Torah. That was their thing, man. Like, hey, you got to read it. In order to be effective, you better know the Torah front and back. And then once they got through middle school and they got through high school, kind of the tradition was they had to go and find a rabbi and ask if they could follow them. That was the tradition. You had to find a rabbi that you like, you know, you want to emulate your life out of, but also they had to choose you. But they only chose the best of the best because, you know, and I'm not just going to have anybody come after and follow me if you're a rabbi at that time because for them everything was about being effective because it was status. But see, the thing about it was Peter didn't get chosen. So Peter had to go back to the family business. 
What was the family business? He was a fisherman. Let me let you in on a secret. I don't even think Peter was effective as a fisherman. He was fishing on the Sabbath, which back then you wasn't supposed to do. When he ran into Jesus, Jesus says, hey, Peter, dump your nets over there, man. So he wasn't even effective at this. But one day walking along, the greatest rabbi of all time says, hey, man, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Mind you, Peter wasn't even saved at the time. Peter drops his necks and he begins to follow Jesus. And all throughout this, if you will, discipling process, Peter, Peter pushed back constantly. In Scripture, he actually rebuked Jesus. I'm like, yeah, Peter. Man, because I know I, don't, I, I have rebuked Jesus myself. I know none of y'all have. I know I've went to God and I've been upset about some things. And I said, hey, man, you said you promised me this. Man, I rebuke you right now in the name of Jesus. Can I rebuke you in your name? Well, I'm going to do it anyway. This might have been one of the first time in Peter's life where he felt valued. Because he was chosen. And Jesus was different from the rabbis that he had seen or experienced. So I'm sure he probably felt like, man, he probably needs my help. Because, see, when, when you're irking and you're looking for validation and effectiveness, you begin to build this paradigm, as I talked about before, that, oh, man, he probably needs my help, so I'm going to go walk with him. So Peter was the one, it seemed like every turn as we read throughout the Gospels, is fumbling the ball at the goal line. Peter sees Jesus way out there. He steps out of the boat, gets a little fear, ends up coming back in the boat, drowning and sinking. Peter rebukes Jesus. Jesus comes and has to rebuke him back in front of the disciples. Peter is asked to come into the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. Jesus asks him, hey, please keep watch. Watch as well as pray. Peter falls asleep two times. Hey, Peter, before the cock crows, man, you're going to deny me three times. Lord, I would never deny you. I would never allow that to happen. Cock crow, man, I don't even know who that dude is. Not once, but three times. But let me tell you something else about Peter. When Jesus told the multitudes, and at this time it was a multitude of disciples, he said, you're going to have to drink of my blood and eat of my flesh. There was a great falling away. Great falling away. Jesus turns and he asks the disciples, y'all going to leave me too? Peter speaks up. And he says, where are we to go, Lord? We have left all for you. Peter might not have been effective, but he was faithful. He was faithful. And when we're going down this pathway of faithfulness, 
Oh, man, let me read to you what God can do. Turn with me into Acts. Man, isn't God good? Oof. Man, I get so caught up emotionally, man, because no matter what the world tells you about you, Peter said, man, where are we to go? I've given up all for you. I may say the wrong things. I may be prideful. I may be arrogant. I may be even dumb. But I know that I know that I know that I ain't leaving you. No matter what. Oh, man, it was probably about a month ago, a little bit or a month, we celebrated celebrated Pentecost. Pentecost is a commemoration for the Jewish people 50 days after Easter. And we know the upper room, we know the story, we know what happened there. And we know how the Spirit came down because of their faithfulness not to leave and to stay in that room. And they had all things common. And Peter didn't have the faith to walk on water, denied Jesus, fell asleep on the job, rebuked Jesus. Peter stood up with the 11 and raised his voice and proclaimed to them, Fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel, and it goes on to read the prophecy. But the title In Acts 2 and 14 says Peter's sermon. The one that wasn't chosen, the one who was passed over because he wasn't the best of the best. But he was chosen by Jesus. And he was faithful to walk with him. He was faithful to stand and to stand in the ground and to be there and to go through all the things because that's what discipleship is, right? Because somebody makes mistakes, we just don't throw them away as a disciple. We don't say, man, you're no longer my disciple. I no longer want to be bothered with you because, man, you made a mistake or you cheated on your spouse or, you know, you, you got drunk and you have an addiction, right? Or you did something wrong. We just don't cast people off and we just don't throw people away. But see, faithfulness goes both ways. Are we going to be faithful to a broken and hurting world to bring about the ministry of reconciliation? Chapter 5 of Acts, verse 12. And we're continuing with Peter. And we know all of what Peter was, but because of Peter's faithfulness, 
Many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join them, but people spoke well of them. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers. Multitudes of both men and women, increasing numbers, by the apostles who Peter was leading. As a result, they would carry the sick into the streets and lay them on cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on them. I'm talking about Peter, y'all. Or better yet, I'm talking about Jessica. Better yet, I'm talking about Stephanie. Better yet, I'm talking about Brian. Better yet, I'm talking about Alex. Better yet, I'm talking about Tristan. Better yet, I'm talking about Ethan. Better yet, I'm talking about Calvin. Better yet, I'm talking about Ron. Better yet, I'm talking about the people of God. See, God can take everything that the world has said and he can change it. And when we're faithful to abide in him and to walk in him, the revelation of his word comes. Peter, because he abided in the true vine, he bare forth much fruit. They brought people out on cots and mats just in the hope that Peter's shadow might catch them. Man, let me tell you something. (laughs) That is a shouting moment. Some of us have shouting moments. And you ain't got to do it here, but when you go home, go home and shout. Because for some of you, you were told that you... You wasn't going to be anything. You wasn't going to be able to have children. You wasn't going to be able to do this, be that, man, let alone get married. But, man, you got a shouting moment because that same thing Peter went through, that's your shadow moment for yourself because of your faithfulness. Man, come on back up. On the road or the pathway to faithfulness, here's what you're going to experience. You're going to experience reconciliation to yourself through Christ Jesus. You're going to experience restoration to Christ through the Spirit of God. And last, but certainly not least, what you will experience is a realization to your purpose and your identity in Christ. When you're on the pathway of faithfulness. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, of how, man, even when <laughs> we're going the wrong way, you were faithful to even go the wrong way with us because you told us you would never leave nor forsake us. Even when we were making our bed in hell, you were still there 
watching and looking over us because, Father God, you are constantly trying to reroute us back to your way. That's a way of rest. That's a way of love. That's a way of gentleness, of meekness, of patience, and faithfulness. And so, Lord God, as you continue to do this work within us, we ask, Father God, that we stay in full commitment to you. You have given us only one pathway back to you, and that is through Jesus. And now that we have him, there is multiple pathways, and it all happens through your word. So we pray, Father God, for those who may be going the wrong way, even in our wrong way. Help us to be faithful to still minister to them, to still to pray for them and still to encourage them and still to love them well. Lord God, thank you for our time of worship. Thank you for our relationship with you. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.